Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi, guys, and welcome to episode 68 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Today, I've got an awesome guest on with me. She is on social media, on Instagram. That's how I've met her. She's got some amazing posts out there, just really relatable, doing a lot of good work. She's sober. She's sassy. She's a mum. <laughs> it's Terry McGilbert. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I love that. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you on as well. And uh, I, yeah, like you're, you're, what you're doing on social media is incredible. And we were just kind of talking about it just before we came onto this recording. And like, isn't it just amazing? Like how how many people are out there like really getting sober conscious, like really wanting to to make this change? Like, and and you know, like you're there and and you're showing them that what they're experiencing is actually super normal. But the challenge we have is that we all think that we're that unique person that's having all of these problems and no one else is. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I don't know about you, Patrick, but I remembered feeling like that as well when I was in yeah. my drinking. I just used to wake up and feel like I'm the only person that waking up like this today, hating myself embarrassed about all the stupid things I did last night or opening the second or even third bottle of wine when I'm just sitting at home on my own watching Strictly um yeah that shame and and that feeling of being just lonely in it is quite suffocating actually and um yeah on my on my insta page sassy sober mum um I I just I really try to break down those stories um, that we tell ourselves and that, yeah, that we're not, we're not alone, actually. There are millions of people <laughs> feeling exactly the same as you right now. And that is so comforting and so reassuring, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know, it's weird though, like, because even though, you know, I've gone through my drinking journey, you've gone through your drinking journey, like, I still, I still have that level of thinking sometimes, like feeling like I'm all alone in the world and stuff as well. So I don't know that it's, it's just around alcohol. I think it's like different areas in our lives as well. But it, it, it shows us though, that it's a human thing for us to, to kind of Think that we have to solve our own problems and you know especially with guys right like we have to we have to be able to fix we have to deal with it on our own and i wonder like is that the same does that happen with did you notice that yourself like do you notice it in other women that you're talking to on social media and everywhere else yeah i think um i think i still think that it's regardless of what your thing is uh for me it was drinking but for other people it's other things like porn or um, gambling or food I, I think linking to that point people feel lonely in that behavior let's say and then you, you know you sort of think well how do I how do I try and rectify this situation for myself and it isn't that easy to find help I don't think to be honest and that's something that you know, I'm I'm striving for, I'm trying really hard to get the message out there that, you know, this is this is quite normal. You know, life is quite difficult. <laughs> it's quite up and down. Um, and you are, like you say, you are only human. And the fact that, you've re- that you rely on these different things or these behaviours to make yourself feel better, um, that's really normal. And actually, if you want that help, yeah, at the moment, I think you have to really dig for it, to find it. It's not something you can just find easily. Um, and, and I think that's one of my frustrations, but also my passion as well, is to just get that information more out there. Um, just like you're doing, you know, having a podcast, having my social media, um, and all the other kind of content that I try to create, just want to be able to throw it at people and say, look, have have a read of this. 
um you know uh yeah you you have to sort of help yourself but you can pull and draw from all these other people actually that that have found their way as well so yeah I don't know if that answers the question actually <laughs> oh, it's beautiful and I, you know like, like what I'm hearing or picking up from it is this this idea of like just normalizing it right yeah you know like yeah. we're not you know because you said a few minutes ago about shame right like shame is so insidious and like just keeps us doing more of what we don't want a lot of the time so by having these platforms of podcasts and, and social media influencers and sober influencers even like it really begins to show us like I'm not alone in this you know like there's other people doing this and we can begin to go okay so if this isn't a me problem what is there that I I, I can learn from this experience that I'm having right now for example yeah yeah it's so true and actually um today I have for some reason I've had an influx of messages this morning um I usually get a good sort of 30 messages from people but today it feels like I've had more maybe I've had 50 messages and and I'm noticing that more of those messages are coming from men and and one of those messages was coming from a really young chap um in Ireland early 20s um and it's just so fascinating because to, to me it feels now so second nature of how to help myself if I'm having a wobble to be honest not just in in sobriety because I do feel quite firm in in sobriety now but I have wobbles in other areas of my life I have wobbles mm. in confidence um I have wobbles in my career I always know now just listen to a podcast find something inspiring or read something inspiring and just sort of give yourself a little bit of ammunition but to a lot of people including these 50 people that have reached out to me this morning it is not second nature for them they literally do not know where to start um and i i said to this guy and i i, I sent a couple of messages to him as well just just to really kind of personally reach out to him in, in terms of audio messages and i said you know just you know do these few things and he came back and he said okay so you're telling me i just need to read some stuff I need to listen to some podcasts and I need to find a community and that, and that's it. That's what I need to do. And I said, yeah, that is a fantastic place to start. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just, I just find it very interesting that, yeah, just even the basics, just telling somebody the basic stuff can just be transformational and life-changing for some people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, same for me and, probably most people listening on this journey i mean if you listen to his podcast you're already on it right but just picking up this naked mind for me was like a game changer because it it put like a bit more science behind what was going on for me like i read it and i was like oh wow like that's it's fascinating like i didn't realize that like how what's the word deluded i was basically by like alcohol and how i thought it worked in my life so yeah, just like a little bit of education, whether that's in the book or a podcast and all the things like goes a long, long, long way. And listening to other people as well, right? Like, so you've got a podcast and you have people come and share their sober journeys and stories, which is incredible because we all relate to, to different people in our lives, right? Like we have different teachers and, and, and by teacher, I don't mean like some academically professor or whatever, but like just people passing by in our lives can teach us a lot of lot of things and actually I always say my kids are my greatest teachers and <laughs> they probably oh, will be for the majority of my life <laughs> your life yeah yeah that's so true my kids have really been my biggest teachers as well but no I, I think um that's absolutely spot on and I, and I also have learned a lot about the brain science um, and then sort of neuroscience and the reason why initially we might crave a drink and all those sorts of things. It's so fascinating and it's so eye-opening and it almost made me feel like, God, how, how did I not know this before all this time? I've been drinking for 27 years on and off, but, you know, mostly fairly consistently and, you know, heavily, I would say. Um, and, I just had no idea what I was doing to myself. And that's what I find a little bit frustrating now. I think with the benefit of hindsight, I, I just, I really want to see a shift in the alcohol education that's put out there. 
um, you know, just putting drink responsibly on the side of a bottle of beer is absolute rubbish. It's just, it's, it, and also it pushes the ownership onto you as a drinker. And it's sort of all of that. I find that quite uncomfortable now. Um, and so I would love to see more proper, um, easy, to, easily to digest information going out there saying, look, you know, you can have your drink if you, if you want it. That's absolutely fine. No judgment. But hang on, let me just tell you all the things that you are actually doing to your body and, and, and what that process is doing in your brain and blah, blah, blah. You know, if people had that information, they they might um, think twice. And, and that's the bit that I think is really missing at the moment, that it's just kind of like it's all a bit under lock and key. <laughs> you know, you've got to get to the point where you're frustrated like we did. Then you've got to then sort of join the dots to buy the right kind of book that might, you know, change your life or have a big impact and then, you know, you've got to do all these other things. But there's a lot of people out there right now in the world that are waking up feeling horrific and have just got no idea about all of that stuff. And so they'll probably stay trapped for, for a, another five years before, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, something happens and they manage to get on our path. So I think if they, we can just get more of that information out there and have more people like you and I and other people in this space that are really making a difference. Um, I do really feel like there's going to be a big shift and that's really, really exciting. Yeah, it definitely is exciting. As you were saying that, like something came up for me in terms of when I was at school, right? Like there was, it was the big, just say no kind of campaign that was going through the schools but it wasn't no to alcohol it was no to to drugs or like getting into a car with a stranger and stuff mm -hmm. so I, like it's funny because from that young age i was definitely influenced by that right like i never went on to try heroin or crack or anything like that but i did a lot of other recreational drugs but th those were the two ones mostly that they're saying like don't do this because you will die and there's a lot of fear-based reasons not to do it right there's no actual like education of like well as you're kind of describing there there's no education well if you do do this this is what's going to happen this is how it impacts your brain right it's like it's like that parent telling a child not to do something yet sitting there in front of them having a drink right like it's it's not very congruent i guess yeah. so yeah we need like more I, more education from a younger age i think Yes. So that people can make informed decisions, Absolutely. right? And and then when they notice that, okay, so yeah, I'm like noticing a dependency to alcohol, they can realize that it's not because of them, it's because of, you know, the drug that they are ingesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I have these um, thoughts that crop up every now and then about how much I would love to have some sort of a, a, a program or a talk or something that I could go into schools to mm. help educate children and maybe maybe that's the sort of inner prod for, for, for me to work on you know to get to that point eventually um, because that that thought does keep coming up but this week on podcasts I, I learned two things that I I, I didn't know, um, and, and this is exactly the kind of information that at whatever the appropriate age is would be so beneficial to have out there. And the first thing is um, about dopamine. And so when you're a teenager, uh, and you might know this already, but when you're a teenager, your dopamine is at base level. It's the lowest since from when you were kind of between zero and two. Uh, and I don't know whether that's hormonal changes, but basically that period between sort of 13, 14, 15, 16, um, a teenager's brain, the dopamine is, is set at a really baseline level. And that's part of the reason why a characteristic of a teenager is to like go out and do dangerous things because they're like trying to get these big hits in, in dopamine. Uh, but it's information that I didn't, I didn't know. And, and, and that relationship to of dopamine and alcohol is, is a really strong one. And it, wouldn't it be great if that was kind of shared more with teenagers? Also, the other thing that I um, got from the Huberman Lab uh, podcast, which you, I'm sure you've listened to, he says that if you start drinking really young, uh, from the ages of 13 or 14, and I know for me, I started drinking to get drunk when I was 14. Um, then you massively increase the risk of alcohol dependency when you're older. So even if you're not, you have no predisposition for it, just by bringing that age 
down from when you start drinking, um, yeah, you can you can hugely increase the chances of you developing alcohol dependency later on. And I, I just find I just find that fascinating. And I think that that information should be out there. You know, these this scientific stuff that we're finding out about alcohol and and about you know the brain development, especially when you are a teenager as well. I just think it would be really useful to get that information out there and make sure kids are learning about that. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think also as well with kids or well, like with with the teenage developing brain, it's like it doesn't fully develop till we're 26. Right. So like our decision making there. I watched there's a video on Netflix around it. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I'll put it in the show notes about like the mind. And it says that it like teenagers, it takes them three times longer to be able to like process decision making and or like oh. the consequences of their decision making essentially so yeah like couple that with alcohol right but the other thing with it is is that when you do start drinking that young and exactly what i did as well is like you are creating life experiences whereby you're having alcohol you you're getting a lot of dopamine from it so your brain thinks it's important so like now you you're not having many things to compare your life to right because you're like having to you're using alcohol to have fun a lot of the time mm. so it makes complete sense that like when you get older like, well how do i have fun about alcohol is because like you've spent most of your late teenage years and adult life just like dependent on alcohol to have fun yeah so yeah, yeah there's there's definitely. there's a lot you know like i have conversations with my 14 year old around drinking and stuff and i said on the podcast a few weeks ago she went to a party and there was going to be people drinking and stuff and i uh spoke to a couple of other parents and it's like oh there's going to be drink there and they're like yeah but you were 14 once you know what it's like and i was like it took me back i was like shock almost it's like yeah this is like the the the, the mindset that we're working with especially in the uk right but probably yeah. outside of the uk as well for sure that it's just acceptable you know mm. like so right now drinking at 14 is very normal you know or accepted whereas what we're trying to do is we're trying to say you know <clears throat> it's normal to well what we're we trying to say <laughs> we're saying that when you do start drinking at young age it makes sense that when you get later on in life that it's going to feel like a challenge to stop drinking because of all of that association you've made with your brain and dopamine and all of mm. the things so yeah, exactly. All those connections that are that are formed. Um, yeah, if you you can totally see if you if you start drinking at fourteen and you do that through your teens and then you get into college and everybody's just getting wrecked and then you go to work and there's you know work hard, play hard culture. Go to the bar. We've won a client deal, and it just carries on and carries on. And for me, I got into. I had my children and then I got into mummy wine, which is another, you know, it's just like a ridiculous concept, but I was fully 100% bought into uh, that parenting and reward pattern of just having drink, you know, drinks in play dates, drinks um, every night when the kids have gone to bed, uh, rushing through, you know, I used to skip through chunks of books just so that I could just read three pages of a full book, you know, uh, just so I could get downstairs and, and, and pour a Savion Blanc. So it's, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling, but it's easy to, it's easy to see. And also, you know, to have empathy for people that are trying to stop um, because you're trying to undo two or three decades worth of work, really. Mm. Yeah. Learn behavior. Have yeah. It. Yeah. So <laughs> I've started thinking about like my life as as uh, before alcohol and post alcohol. Yeah. So what was what was your life like before alcohol? Like you know before you stopped drinking alcohol. <laughs> like so when I was drinking, yeah. Yeah, that's a like... really convoluted way to get to that <laughs> point, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like tell us about your journey. Yeah. There you go. Simple question. Well, I you know my my drinking was always um, to excess. <laughs> so going back to that 14 year old um I I wanted to get drunk and I was praised in my group for getting drunk you know it was it was a funny big thing um getting drunk and and falling over or 
being sick in the bushes and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think I think if I had to sum up my my drinking life, it would be chaotic for sure. Um, it would be dark in more often than not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I have had lots of fun times when I have been drinking, but I've obviously learned now that I've just had fun times because there were fun times. I couldn't say that the drink made those any any better, really. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was quite consistent um, in my drinking. I was a binge drinker, I suppose. Um, and I drank a few nights every week for yeah, nearly three decades. Um, I probably drunk more when there were difficult moments in my life, which, um, well, like a lot of people, there, have, there has been a lot of ups and downs uh, to deal with. And there have been some difficult relationships and, and some broken relationships to manage. And I think that drinking definitely helped me to shut down feelings about those things um so yeah it was messy I I was very similar to you Patrick in that I especially in my sort of late 20s and early 30s I got into a more destructive cycle of drinking and then having you know party drugs if you like um so they could keep the party going um, and with that came even more shame and because a lot of the time I was quite used to blacking out. But when you black out, you don't remember anything. Mm. But when you have, when you drink and then you take something like cocaine and then you keep drinking, you've got like, for me, I had like hyper vigilant memories of all the really annoying bits about myself and all the annoying person that I became under the influence of those things. Um, and so I'd find that, I'd find myself being, I'd cringe quite a bit when I wake up like, oh God, that's so cringy. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why Why did I stand on that table in that person's house to dance? I mean, that's their, that's their, <laughs> that's their dinner table. You know, all those kind of like behaviors that are just really embarrassing. I would remember them. And I found that really hard as well. And I do think that that fueled, that shame fueled <laughs> more alcohol use um and so yeah towards the end um I was in I was in a, I was definitely thinking I've got to I've got to find a way through this I, I don't want to do this forever I started to fear for my longer term health I my my mum died of breast cancer when she mm -hmm. was 56 we weren't in contact because we had a a difficult relationship she was a big drinker um I never I never knew my mum as an adult I, I own you know I we kind of uh, yeah I, I kind of cut her off I suppose when I was 19 um and then I never really I saw her once between 19 and 35 um and she died and I found out through Facebook through a an old family friend just said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your mom. And I knew straight away that she died. That she must, you know, she must be dead. Um, and she was a big smoker, big drinker. Now, you know, there are huge links between breast cancer and lifestyle, let's say. Mm. Um, and she did actually have breast cancer and she did manage to get rid of it. And I, I saw her once in that period. And then the cancer came. But when I went to see her, she went so weird because I went to see her after not seeing her, her for 10 years. And she had made some sandwiches and sausage rolls and that very sort of, yeah, kind of old fashioned spread on the table. And she was drinking lots of wine and we drank wine together and she was smoking. We smoked together. And I did remember thinking, God, I not sure if I had, had had breast cancer, would I be doing those things? Because I, I was already aware of that link between cancer and breast cancer, um, sorry, between alcohol and, and breast cancer, but she just was carrying on. Uh, and I remember thinking that at the time and then thinking, okay, fair enough, you know. And then a few years later, she she it came back aggressively and she died within three days. Now I'm not saying that that was because she drank and smoked, but I definitely, felt a deep instinct that that certainly didn't help 
um, and that that might be the cause of that coming back. And it made me feel so frightened that that might be me in, you know, five, 10 years time. And, and I didn't want that. And we can't change how our future is going to, you know, play out. We don't really know what's around the corner. Um, but I wanted, I didn't want to get to that point in my say mid, mid fifties and, and a doctor saying, uh, you've got breast cancer. And then for me to still be drinking and thinking, God, I could have done something about that. And I, and I regret now being in this position. So basically what I'm trying to say the long way around it is if I, you know, was unlucky enough to get a diagnosis like that in my, whenever next five years, 10 years, I would feel at least I stopped drinking when I was 41, that it's, you know, it's not, it's not something that I'm going to have to like get over, try and get over cancer or something like that. And then also have all this regret and, you know, anger that I didn't change my life or change my lifestyle. Um, so if I'm right, I need to say how I feel now afterwards, the difference. Mm. Stopping drinking. Um, so yeah, life, I feel like the only way I can describe it now is that I feel like I know who I really am now. Because when I look back at my drinking, I just sort of see this quite lost, frightened person running away from pain, dealing with a lot of shame, making crazy decisions. I, it's almost like I don't know who that person is. I know that was me, but now I have found myself getting sober. And a lot of that has got to do with you know, when I stopped drinking, obviously I did all the education stuff that I, you know, encourage people to do now. And with that comes a huge amount of personal development. And also you have to practice feeling your feelings, which is mm. something that I don't think I've ever done. Um, I think the last time I had feelings that I felt properly, I was, yeah, 10, 11 <laughs> And at the time, because my mum was quite a big drinker, my home life was quite chaotic. And I think I I felt sad a lot as a child. Um, and so it's, you know, for me, I can really see how when I got to 14, how I fell into drinking and it just kind of fixed everything, made me feel better. So for me at 41, I had to start learning how to feel my feelings again. And that, and that was really weird. <laughs> um, and... I cried a lot and I felt low and I didn't know why. And I, I just had to explore everything that came up. Um, and, you know, more, the more and more times that I did that, the more I started to feel better, feel more connected to myself, more connected to my family um, and my husband and so much more connected to my kids. And I just think that, um, it's been utterly life-changing uh, on it on every level, but it's allowed me to live my life with authenticity. Such a big word of sobriety, isn't it? It does get banded about a lot, but I really understand what that means to be authentic. I'm not afraid of who I am. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm really proud of who I am. Even the bits that I know are a bit annoying. Um, I, I like those too. <laughs> How about so, annoying to who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, annoying probably probably to my husband, but we we joke about it. Um, but yeah, I mean I I you know I, I know that I wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea, but I'm I'm absolutely okay with that now. I'm I'm not trying to people please anymore. I think I spend a, a, nearly all of my life trying to please people because fundamentally it didn't feel good enough. And now I feel really good enough for, for everything. And I still have moments of fear. We were talking before we press record. You know, there are things that I would like to do to elevate my presence in, in this community. And, and I, you know, I said to you that I've got fear around that. You know, I, I need to tackle that fear. I'm aware of it. And I need to find a way to, to handle it and to move through it just because I got sober doesn't mean that I'm perfect at coping with everything. I still feel all the same, you know, things. I'm just aware of them now. And I know I, I just, I have to kind of, yeah, navigate them and, and find a plan for myself. But the fact that I can be so 
hyper aware of what's going on in my life and how I'm feeling and how I'm, you know, being out there in the world, it just, it feels like a gift. Um, and it's really, really hard to underestimate that feeling because it's just amazing. Yeah, it is. And it, it requires work, right? Like yeah. stopping drinking is just the beginning. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, it's the end of something and it's the beginning of something else, so, which is which is amazing. So, yeah, so many great things that you were saying in there. So a couple of things that I'd like to just kind of explore a little bit more, because I think for the guys and, and anybody else who's listening, they might be like, yeah, but what does what does that really mean? So this idea of like feeling your feelings, right? Like yes. this, so I didn't have, I have a clue what this meant either. <laughs> And I kept, I heard it for years and years, and I was, but then I was like making myself wrong because I thought I was not feeling my feelings. What does it mean for you? Like how, so I know you, you kind of gave some examples of like crying and things like that, but like, how else would you describe to feel your feelings? Yeah, I think this is, this is such a great question. Um, and I, I was, I was just um, editing a podcast on my own show before I came on here and it was talking about that you know you need to do the work and I, re- and I remembered being in early sobriety and thinking what is the bloody work I, yeah. I was like, this is so frustrating like just tell me what the work is and I just had no idea what that work meant and it's very it's kind of similar to what you're saying it's you know feeling your feelings doing the work blah 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 so for me I think I, I see it now um in other people when they come to me and they say I've been sober a hundred days. Um, you know, I was feeling amazing. Now I'm feeling really flat. What's wrong with me? How do I get past this? And I think, and, and I always kind of smile in that situation because that is that is the feelings coming up. So we're not able to always see it at the time. We're not able to even um, sometimes be able to put a label on it or or identify what it is, but it's, it's the feeling inside you that, you know, something might be slightly off or maybe you've had some bad news or, you know, it's how you approach and handle situations and it's how you feel in sort of each moment in your day. And I think for me, whenever I felt uncomfortable or a bit down, I tried very quickly to fix that. I was like, okay, well, how, how do I fix that? How do I fix that? And what I was focused on the solution, how to fix it, rather than trying to understand what's driving it. Yeah. And I think for me, I just, over time, I just, I know I'm listening to podcasts and listening to lots of things about feelings. I know you've done um, podcasts on this and I'm a huge fan of your podcasts. And, you know, so there will be other women as well listening out there because I, I, was and I I loved it but yeah I think it's about just trying to um trying to accept that life is not going to be amazing every day or every hour you know life just isn't like that you know Buddha will say life is suffering and you know you have to get used to dealing with pain and suffering you know without pain there is no pleasure there is nothing there's no contrast so I think we are in a, we live in a society of instant gratification. I don't feel great, take a pill. I don't feel great, have a bottle of wine. I don't feel great, do this other thing, have a dopamine hit, blah, 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 blah. But actually, naturally, you know, we are not wired to feel great all the time. We're not meant to. We're meant to feel different things. And so I think, when now I've just learned through a process of practicing, I think, um, and just trusting the process because I didn't know what doing the work and feeling the feelings meant either. But every time something came up, I just tried to be aware of it. What is going on? Why might I be feeling this way? Sometimes I can get to the answer quickly because I had a, an, in, an instinct, a, you know, an intuition. Sometimes not. Sometimes it would take a while for it to kind of become a little bit more clear. But I think rather than just trying to push that feeling away, just for me, the way that I handle it is I just let myself feel a bit shit for a day or two days. Or maybe I go for a walk or I try to think or I journal 
or I listen to a podcast, see if that might spark something that kind of seems to resonate. Oh yeah, okay. Well, actually, I you know maybe I feel a bit. Maybe that's why I'm feeling. <laughs> you know, so it's about exploring the different feelings that come up, accepting that not every feeling is amazing, and almost trying to you know in a kind of weird cheesy way, <laughs> try to embrace when you don't feel great because there's a message in there somewhere there's something in there that's saying hang on a minute pay attention to me um, or maybe you need to adjust something or fix something or whatever but it's it's about feeling it first feeling it and then try to find how you can kind of work through it yeah nicely put yeah there's wisdom in how we feel I think for sure right like there's yeah. Is the, I think it, uh, sometimes I work with guys and I explain it like this is like our emotions are like text messages, right? Like we get on our mobile phone, like they're notifications. They're like trying to let us know something that's going on. And, you know, like yeah. And we, and, and, and rather than be like, Oh, I don't want that message and trying to ignore yeah. it. Like we yeah. just want to say, okay, so what is it? Right. Because we might get a message and it might be like, Oh, you know, you get, you came up with fear, for example, like, Oh, I'm feeling fear. And then we, you, you can get curious with yourself. Like, why am I feeling fear? And then you get to show yourself like, okay, so is this, is this worth listening to? Or is this something that I can go and just kind of like continue working with and being curious and showing myself, well, maybe there's not something to fear, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, just like being open to feeling however you're feeling. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, my bike got stolen uh like a a month or two ago during the summer and i was like right next to it man like this little kid walked in the park and just walked out with it at the time um i it, it was fascinating like looking back like i just i, I was so helpless like, i was with another guy and he's like well do you want to phone the police and i was like no there's no point he's like do you want to go and tell the restaurant owners it's like in this cafe i was like no there's no point right like i completely like abdicated myself like to this helplessness and then we went off and then we came back and then I was like judging myself for, for how I showed up and stuff. And, but, but underneath all of that is I felt I was angry. I was pissed off. Right. Like some kid had just nicked my bike mm. and I wasn't allowing myself to feel that I was kind of trying to like, be like, Oh, it's, it's okay. It's gone. Just get on with it. You know, like not, and actually in ign ignoring how I was truly feeling, like it actually started showing up in different ways through my week. So I had such a, profound learning from that is like acknowledge how you feel like no matter what the feeling is like it's okay to to have that emotion there and then just be curious about why it's there you know like yeah. I, I, I say the three a's like acknowledge accept allow yeah that's nice yeah yeah i think that's i think there's 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 so much um weight in validating feelings and i and i think I don't know why we're like this, maybe because um, a generation to one or two back, you weren't supposed to feel anything, you know, you're supposed to feel right. only a certain way and that was that. And, you know, like my grandparents' generation, they weren't allowed to feel how they really felt. Um, and I think there's a lot of work in, you know, in this generation and hopefully moving forward in just breaking some of that down you know it, it is okay to feel how you feel because that is how you feel and you've got to acknowledge it and you've got to validate it and I think that um drinking becomes a way of invalidating the feelings and we just get hooked on being able to do that you know like I said before that instant gratification thing to the point where it's just um you know, it's just, it, it's, it, yes, it's kind of second nature for us to, to, to rely on the alcohol to just get rid of those feelings. So I think that being able to acknowledge, being able to be aware of them, just at least being aware that you aren't feeling this or that or, yeah, whatever you're feeling, just being aware of it is a start. It's yeah. a start. It's something that everyone can do. You know, if you go through your day, you could even write it on your phone. I'm such a data geek. I love writing. You know, I love recording things. And, you know, so, you know, if it's really important to you to try and start to learn to understand that, you, you could almost do like a on your notes on your phone, just different points in the day, how, how you're feeling. 
um, or just do it in emojis, just to start to see patterns and just be, just train yourself to be more aware of what's actually going on inside you. And mm. then when you can, when you do that, you've got the opportunity then to start to think about how you might explore it, what what's really going on. Or yeah, like you said, in your case, you reacted in that way. Then afterwards you thought, well, hang on a minute, why did I react in that way? That's Yeah, like, there was so much judgment in, in, <laughs> in how I acted and it, that was what was going on underneath. I love the emoji idea though, because <laughs> that's such yeah. a simple thing you can do, right? Like, yeah. how am I feeling? Like, choose from all of those emojis. Yeah, so you could just do it and... like a few points in the day or you could have set periods in the day or you could just do it when you feel differently. It's just that practice of, I, I, I think, and you probably see this as well in your work, but... I do, and I know because this was me. So you know, you a lot of people aren't aware of a lot of things that are going on. Um, they're just sort of like moving from one to a thing to another, and maybe then they haven't really got their eyes open of of what's really going on around them. And that's not a criticism, but it's more about um, a sort of poke, if anything, of well, is that you, and could you start to change that? Because you can only change these things if you start to practice. I think it's so interesting how uh, all of our analogies are around phones and social media at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> text messages and yeah, emojis yeah. and getting poked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the world we're living in now. Um, like one, of, one of the emotions I see guys coming to me fairly often with why they drink is stress, right? Like, cause they feel like stress is like, oh, okay, so beer makes me unstressed, which while well, there's like a, small element of truth in that but it's also like a belief right like mm-hmm. drinking helps you uh, relieve your stress like in the conversations that you have and the people reaching out to you and stuff like what what are the are you noticing like a pattern or a familiar theme of of emotions when people are choosing to drink yeah i think um yeah i think i think it's it, it's all of the typical beliefs um, that you probably see um, to try and get to sleep is a big one because people are stressed or or anxious and you know you can't you can only do so much in an Instagram message and I don't know if you've ever tried to audio but you can only audio for a minute it's really annoying um, and so I have to send like several minutes to people uh, quite often about how that is actually not what's happening when you go to when you drink alcohol you actually sleep worse you don't sleep properly you don't achieve REM sleep as part of your you know night's rest so you don't actually get the sleep you think you're getting and it's just sort of that stuff so yeah pe- people are mainly drinking um because of uh to relax a big one is rituals you know, have habits. So it's kind of, you know, people feel like they can't survive if they don't come in from work and have the bottle of wine to open whilst they're cooking dinner. And I, again, no judgment, right? Because that was a biggie for me. That was my favourite thing to do. You know, get or get the kids to bed or get, get in from work. And, you know, it was my sort of switch, my time now. We're going into my time zone um let's open the red big posh glass you know wide glass let it breathe and all that bollocks pour it you know and it was a ritual that I just had just I don't know attached so much emotion it was such a part of who I was I mean who was I if I wasn't going to do these these things I didn't know how to I didn't know how to spend my evenings at first so I think people have a lot of fear of giving up because the, the main things are relaxation, ritual, and they're all ours here, aren't they? I need to find another R. No. Um, <laughs> and we're going to call it something really profound, but no, relaxation because of uh, habit or, or ritual, and um, the belief that they need it to have fun. That is, I'd say that's probably the overriding feeling. People just think that their life will stop if they don't drink, they won't have any more fun and I think people have you know fear around telling their friends because they don't want to disappoint people um you know and I would argue in situations like that there is probably an awful lot of people pleasing going on with that person they're prioritizing other people's needs over their own which is again no judgment very common I felt like that too 
and so yeah I, I would say it's all, all the sort of normal things but it's 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 all the things that we and I got the beliefs I got this from your podcast as well like you you really made me think about the belief system um and I you know it made me really realize even three years in yeah it's just beliefs it's just the stories that we tell ourselves um and that actually they're not facts that's you know just because we believe it doesn't make it true um and so I think yeah it's the, the it's the main common re the common reasons why people are drinking is is for those reasons and they're also they also are fearing something coming up so at the moment it's Christmas um or a wedding or someone's birthday or you know so they're afraid to go into these social situations without the crutch of alcohol yeah i think that goes back right like if you've started drinking from a young age that you have no idea how to interact in some of these environments because it's all you've ever known right yeah so well and what so yes they're totally like a lot of the things that we we hear quite often and again right people think that's unique to them and so i think it is helpful just kind of reiterate like these are the same like we're all very very similar if, whilst different but we have the same fears same doubts right like we want our friends to accept us and we want to be able to have fun and i think that doing the work right like that idea of doing the work i think is about learning how to do things differently yeah like we could put that into that yes. mix of doing of, of doing the work it's about understanding what your rituals are understanding your your habits right like what are the things that you do that you just think are part of who you are right like again that's part of the work like un identifying your beliefs identifying like cultures you're in and when i say culture i don't necessarily just mean like uh religion like you can have like a, a home culture a work culture like all different types of cultures in your life yeah. uh, understanding your feelings like identifying what your needs are right i think it's helpful just to see like that's what doing the work is it's about coming back to yourself it's about understanding why you do what you do and then from that place you get to make some new choices if you wish yeah, <laughs> yeah. And those, you know, those choices are very scary at first, but so much growth comes from challenging yourself and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, you'll be super rewarded in those situations. So um, I always try to explain to people that, especially early sobriety or even sobriety in the first year, you know, there'll be lots of moments where it's amazing and it's there'll be lots of moments where it's really challenging. And, you know, sometimes the challenges are, you know, they're the best bits. They don't feel like it at first, but you get such a spike of growth and personal development following those. And you learn something new about yourself and you also build some new confidence around something that you thought you couldn't tackle but you you did and you know there's just so many of those little gifts I think in in sobriety so it's it's trying to get people isn't it it's trying to get people to um prepare themselves you know manage their expectations that it's not easy it's not straightforward but it is definitely doable and you will have quite quickly those you know little gifts those benefits um, will be popping up. And yeah, I mean, even for me, sometimes, you know, three and a half years in, I have moments where I think, why am I behaving so with you with a bike? Why am I behaving this way? What's wrong with me? Yeah. There, there is always going to be those things. Like, yeah, you're going to have those things anyway. Why not have them sober so that you can be level-headed in your approach and, you know, develop and grow um, as a human and just yeah and, and feel all those like lovely benefits when you get through it yeah yeah sobriety doesn't <laughs> doesn't make you any less human but it certainly yeah. equips you to be more resilient and resourceful and you know Absolutely. like have a, a very different experience yeah. amazing all right we've covered a ton i think it's been super super valuable had a lot of fun <laughs> terry you may be aware is a question i like to ask my guests at the end of each interview <laughs> And that is, what does it mean to be radically human for you? Right, I've got, I got notes here because um, it's, it's a big question. 
Um, and so I wanted to be prepared. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking um, to be radically human, I think I've broken it into three things. So I think having awareness of what's going on around you and inside you, um, mm. I think that is so important because if you're not aware of what's going on around you or inside you, you can't be true to yourself. And that kind of comes into my second point, being true to yourself, regardless of judgment from others. So doing things that are true and in line with how you feel and not how society is expecting you to feel or behave. Um, I think having self-honesty, self-reflection, and as part of that conversation with yourself, ma managing managing your ego. Um, and also I think, you know, being radically human is about being kind and supportive, uh, having empathy for people, not judging people for the situations they're in, and just being able to um, look at another person, and this is gonna be very Gabor Mate, but, you know, try and see what their pain is and, you know, what, you know, everyone is going through something and people are just doing their best. So um, I think have, being able to forgive and to be able to see situations for what they really are and not for what you think they are, which is usually your ego talking. So those are the things, I hope that made sense, but that's, that's yeah. what I think it means to be radically human. Beautiful answer. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Terry, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, if anybody it. out there would love to hear more of your wisdom, where would they go to find <laughs> you and hear from you? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Sassy Sober Mum. And I also have a website, um, sassysobermum.com. And on that website, you will find a free sobriety ebook. Um, you'll find a list of books and podcasts that you can listen to and you will also find my podcast which you have been a guest on recently thank you very I much yeah. and that's called sober stories from everyday people um, so yeah it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me I've loved it yeah yeah it's been a delight and I think anyone who's listening there's plenty of things that they can take away and start you know putting into action you know even the smallest thing is going to start building up momentum and create big changes in their life so that's incredible thank you so much terry thank you for all the guys listening and i'll see you again soon take care and bye-bye thank you bye